I invite you to turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. And if you're using the Bibles in the chairs around you, you can find it on page 889. In the context here, we see that Jesus has been talking with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well outside of Sychar, which is a city in Samaria. And his disciples have gone into the city to get food. So he's been alone with this, uh, with this woman. She has a disgraceful past and she's uh, living uh, with, a, with a man and they're not married. Uh, but Jesus has sought her out. And uh, he's revealed to her that he knows her past and that he is the Christ. So today we're going to see what this Samaritan woman does with his news. And, uh, and then we're also going to see uh, uh, Jesus engage with his disciples uh, about the uh, urgency of evangelism. So please read with me from uh, uh, John, starting in John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with, it, with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to, receive, to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that he, I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Please pray with me. <clears throat> yes, Lord, you are the Savior of the world. And so we want to know you better. We want to know how, how can we join you in this mission of, of, of being a Savior to people from every single tribe, tongue, language, and nation. We ask, Lord, that as we consider your word here, that it would fill us with a passion for your mission, for, for evangelism. That we would prioritize your mission above everything else that we do. And Lord, may we rest on the power of your word to bring about the new life and the new birth. So we pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Last week we uh, looked and saw uh, how uh, Jesus offered water to the Samaritan woman, uh, but, uh, but it wasn't H2O. 
It was the living water of the Holy Spirit who could give her eternal life and satisfy her deepest thirsts. And now this week, Jesus is going to talk about food to his disciples. But it isn't physical food, as they initially thought. Rather, Jesus shares that his food is to do the will of God. So we see this just time and time again. Uh, and Jesus did this with uh, Nicodemus as well, uh, where uh, he, he uses physical analogies to point to spiritual, heavenly realities. And in, in so doing, he reveals that his hearers are entrenched in, in earthly thinking about earthly things. And I think Jesus wants to, us to see that about ourselves today as well. Now, we're, we're often fixated on the details of daily life, on, on the news, on our jobs, our hobbies, our favorite sports teams, on providing for and connecting with our families, on studying and investing for our futures. And so we get, we get so busy that we lose our perspective of, for what we should prioritize, what we should be most passionate about. Now that, that, this, this happens to all of us. And so here in this passage, Jesus is going to help us adjust our perspective on what's most important, on doing the will of God and accomplishing His mission. I don't have an outline in the bulletin, uh, so here are uh, the three points. The first is a passion for evangelism. The second is the priority of evangelism. And third is the power of evangelism. So let's start with the first point, a passion for evangelism. Let's look first at the Samaritan woman's passionate response to encountering Jesus. Verses 30, uh, 27 through 30. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Jesus had just revealed to this woman that he was the Messiah, the Christ. And she believed him. She believed and was born again and immediately she knew she had to tell others about Jesus. Now, if we remember well last week, uh, she may have been trying to avoid those other people by coming to, the, to this well at this particular time of day. But now... None of that mattered. She had to go tell people about Jesus. She even left her water jar at the well. And she was just so amazed and so changed that she looks like she just forgot her, very, her original purpose for even being there. She may have left with no physical water, but she left with better water, with the living water. And she was bringing that water back to others, to anyone who would hear her sinful past did not hold her back. She was open about it. She said, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. So she wasn't ashamed and hiding anymore because she had been set free by the Messiah. She had hid herself under his wings and she had found lasting security, lasting safety. The fear of man that that uh, for sure used to be there, was now crushed by this new freedom and this passion that she needed to share others 
about Christ. She and these Samaritans, they, they listened to her. They perhaps they saw the great change in her life. I mean, after all, here is this woman with a very sketchy past and uh, living a very questionable life in the present. And uh, but now, uh, look at her. She's she's come with news. She's met someone. She's 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 changed. She's excited about something. And so perhaps that all made uh, them very curious uh, to go out and see Jesus for themselves. This, this passionate response uh, by the, the woman, the Samaritan woman, is it's amazing. But how did the disciples respond to Jesus' encounter with this woman? Well, it was uh, a lot less than passionate. Uh, when they returned from getting food and they saw Jesus with this woman, they were shocked at what Jesus was doing. But they didn't say anything. Though Jesus certainly knew what their thoughts were. It was culturally inappropriate for Jesus to be talking uh, alone with this woman. There was a Jewish teaching around this time that said, A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife, and especially not with another woman, on account of what men might say. On account of what men might say. There's also a social stigma against uh, teaching women the scriptures. And on top of those social faux pas, this woman was a Samaritan. And Jews looked down on Samaritans and many didn't associate with them at all. In this situation, I think the disciples first thought about how inappropriate the situation was for Jesus to be talking with this woman and what others might think about what Jesus was doing. Their minds were set on earthly things, on the the rules and standards of men. Rules and standards, not, not rooted in love, but rooted in hatred and fear and, and, and uh, perhaps a love for power and control. My brothers and sisters, yes, there's, there's times uh, when, when we shouldn't be socially awkward, that sometimes being socially awkward uh, it, uh, is a detriment to our witness. But there's also times when we must risk breaking social norms for the sake of the gospel. We must risk breaking social norms for the sake of the gospel. In the United States, it's not socially okay to talk about your faith and religion with other, with other people, especially people uh, who are strangers or those of a different faith. But that social boundary, that needs to be crossed at times. It needs to be crossed. Maybe at your job, it's, it's not socially acceptable to share your faith with your coworkers or clients. That happened to me. The previous job I, I had here, uh, before here, uh, I was explicitly told that if I was to be hired, I could not proselytize. And maybe, that, maybe, you've, maybe you're in a similar job where you've been told uh, uh, something uh, very similar to that. But let's not let that stop us from being ready to share the gospel. It takes, it takes wisdom, doesn't it? It takes wisdom to discern when might be an appropriate time within the context of uh, being at your job uh, to, to share the gospel or when you need to you know, focus on faithfully doing your job. But let's be ready. Let's, let's pray for wisdom and a readiness to share your faith. God may give you opportunities that you weren't expecting. One way to help a conversation move towards the gospel is just to ask people about their lives. 
You know, people are great at talking about themselves. Ask them questions. Ask them, uh, show an interest in their life. Uh, listen to the, the, their answers in, 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 uh, in a way where they can show that you genuinely care and you respect them. Having conversations like that, which are really similar to what Jesus was having with the Samaritan woman, having those, those types of respectful conversations can often open up doors for people to become transparent with you and, and, and in turn for you to be transparent uh, with others about your life and your faith. Or um, maybe... You just feel more like the Samaritan woman, and, and you, just, you just need to share uh, Jesus with anybody who will listen. If that's you, if that's where you're at right now, that's awesome. Great. Go for it. That's, that's great. There's many ways to evangelize. And, and, and you know, I think it's important to recognize there's some ways that are wiser than others. But not evangelizing is far worse than, than, uh, than evangelizing in a socially awkward kind of way. So how does Jesus respond to his disciples? Verses 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The disciples brought food back to Jesus, but Jesus wanted to teach his disciples about what was most important. He told them about his food that they didn't know about. The disciples, they they think that it's physical food, but obviously it wasn't. Jesus says that his food is to do the will of his Father and accomplish his work. That was Jesus' passion. That's what motivated and strengthened him. We see throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus expressed his complete commitment to doing only the Father's will. In John 5, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then in a chapter later, in John 6, Jesus gives the same unreserved commitment to his Father's will. And he also explains what his Father's will is. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' purpose and passion was to do his Father's will. So much so that that he did nothing other than his Father's will. He did not deviate one degree from his Father's plan. His goal was to seek and save the lost, to preserve them from falling away and then to resurrect them on the last day at his second coming. So this was Jesus' food. It's his passion. It's his purpose. His joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. This is why Jesus came to earth. Jesus' food should be our food too. And when Jesus' food becomes our food, Jesus' joy 
becomes our joy too. So what's, what's God's food for you? What's God's will for you to accomplish? God has commissioned us in Matthew chapter 28 to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That's our mission from Jesus. This, this, this mission of discipling all nations, this is so important to us that we put it in our bulletin every single week. You can see it under our, our purpose, plan, and principles. Now, uh, making disciples, it looks uh, different for each one of us according to the gifts that God has given us. Uh, but each one of us is called to be a part of this glorious process of evangelism and discipleship in winning people to Christ and in maturing their faith and, and, and helping them grow in Christ-likeness. So th- is this your food? Is this your purpose? Is this your passion and joy? Whether you serve directly or indirectly, whether you're in the spotlight or out of it, is this your purpose? This food of doing God's will, it's the, it's the best of foods. To invest in eternity gives the most satisfaction and joy in this life. So brothers and sisters, let's make Jesus' food our food. And let's join him in his mission of making disciples of all nations. In verses 35 through 38 next, we see our second point, the priority of evangelism. Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus is using an illustration of of sowing and, and of reaping a harvest to speak of God's will, not only for him, but also for his disciples and us by extension. Jesus says that usually people sow their seed and then wait many months for a harvest. But Jesus wanted them to see that there was a different harvest right before their very eyes. A harvest ready to be reaped, although the seed was just sown. He said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus wanted his disciples to see that the Samaritan woman and the the Samaritans who were coming to Jesus... They were the harvest. And though the seed of gospel had just been sown, the harvest was ready. Sower and reaper would rejoice together. The disciples were to be ready to harvest souls for eternal life right now. People were ready to come to faith in Christ. And, and all those social barriers, those social stigmas uh, between Jews and, 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 and uh, Samaritans and, and between men and women, all these social barriers, those were, those were going to prohibit the harvesting and those needed to be overcome. The time was now. It was urgent. 
Jesus wanted to teach his disciples here of the priority of evangelism. That there are times when we need to be alert and be able to discern when people are ready to hear and receive the gospel. We need to put everything else aside and prioritize the harvest before it's too late. Maybe you're noticing that your son or your daughter is asking a lot of really good questions about God or heaven or sin or about death. Take those opportunities to share the gospel with them. Set aside whatever you're doing and focus on those questions. They're of the utmost importance. Or maybe you know somebody who has experienced a tragedy and their heart is, is very tender. They don't know the Lord, and, but, but they're talking. And they're being very transparent. Take those opportunities to share the hope of Christ that you have. Times of suffering and sadness can be, can be opportunities when people's hearts and ears are open. Or maybe someone has shared with you that they're lonely. They don't have friends. They just go to work and then they go home. Take that opportunity to perhaps invite them over for, for a meal or, or to grab lunch with them or to invite them to church or, or, just, or gathering with your Christian friends. The Apostle Matthew did something really similar after he started following Jesus. Remember, he, he invited uh, Jesus and his disciples over to his house and then he invited a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, his friends, the people he knew, uh, so, that, so, that they, so that his friends could meet Jesus and his disciples. So maybe it's time to invite uh, one of your coworkers to join you and, and uh, some of your friends over for, uh, for a meal or a game night or something. The point is this. Jesus wants us to be ready and looking for when the harvest is ready. It might be sooner than we think. Others may have sown seeds into the lives of, of the un- unbelievers that we know and and, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we think, oh, you know, this, this person, uh, you know, the, the, the pump hasn't been primed with them at all. They're, you know, this is the beginning of, of the story. When, when actually, so, in so many, so many times, there's, uh, maybe there's a mother who's been praying uh, uh, for this son or daughter for years. Or, or maybe they've been, this, this person's already been having a lot of conversations with other people. And, and, and so maybe, uh, even though you don't know these things, maybe God's already been doing a lot of preparation uh, in, in, in their hearts and minds uh, for you uh, to be able to speak into their life. And so perhaps it may be that, that, that what you say could be what God uses to, uh, to, to bring about the whole, the, to bring about the new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps you just might just be sowing. You might not be reaping. You might just be sowing. And that reaping may happen uh, in, in, in another time by somebody else. So we don't know. But let's be ready. Let's prioritize sharing the gospel when we discern people are ready to hear it. Now we come to the last paragraph and to our third point, the power of evangelism. Verses 39-42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, 
It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Samaritans were won over by Jesus and asked him to stay with them. And Jesus stayed two more days uh, and, and taught them. Most of Jesus' ministry was to, to Jews, to God's chosen people. But there are times like this when he reached out to Gentiles and showed that Christ was not just the Savior of the Jews, but a Savior for the world, for Jews and Gentiles like you and me. Some of the Samaritans believed on account of the woman's witness, but it also says here in verse 41 that many more believed because of his word, because of the word of Christ. So here we see the power of evangelism. The power of, uh, the power of evangelism is the word of Christ. The word of Christ is living and active. It's a seed that by the power of the Holy Spirit can bring about the new birth. Romans 10:17 says, "Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ." As we share Jesus with others, don't worry about how eloquent you are. Don't worry about having all the answers for all the questions. Don't worry if you'll if you might forget some of the details of the gospel. Remember that the message of Christ is powerful and that salvation is a work of God. There's so many different ways that we can evangelize. You know, giving, giving someone a Bible is a great way to evangelize. And if it's someone who speaks a different language, uh, you know, talk with us. We can, get, we can get a Bible in that language. We have Arabic Bibles here. Bringing someone to church is a, it's a great way for them to, to hear the gospel. And, you know, sharing, sharing with someone a bit about how, what Jesus has done in your life. You know, the peace that he's given you, the hope that he's given you, how he's, how he's changed your life. That's a great way to share the gospel. No matter what you do, focus on exposing people to God's word and the good news of what Jesus has done. Because that's the seed. That's, the, that, that's where there's the potential for new birth and, and eternal life. There once was a missionary named John G. Patton. He was born in Scotland in 1824, and he and his wife, Mary, went as missionaries to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. And that, uh, that area is today called Vanuatu. They went to the island of Tana, uh, where the people... Uh, they were naked, and they were violent cannibals. John Patton was nevertheless driven by a passion to share the gospel with them. He said, I was sustained by the lofty aim which burned all these years bright within my soul, namely to be owned and used by him for the salvation of perishing men. The wail and claims of the heathen were constantly sounding in my ears. I saw them perishing for lack of the knowledge of the true God and His Son, Jesus. So John Patton had a passion for, for evangelizing these, uh, these, these cannibals. But on the island of Tana, things didn't go very well. Right after their first son, Peter, was born, John's wife, Mary, died of a fever. 
And then days later, their son Peter died too. But John continued to labor there in, in Tana. But eventually, he had to flee for his life. He eventually returned to the New Hebrides with, uh, with his new wife, Maggie. Uh, but this time, to a different island next to Tana, an island named Anawa. The people there were cannibals too, with not a single Christian among them. But God brought about a great harvest there in Anawa. And eventually... As the years progressed, eventually all the people there were Christians, and not a one was a cannibal. What's more, after Patton left Ottawa, uh, believers from Ottawa went to Tana, the, that, uh, that, that first island that Patton was at, and they shared the gospel there, and many were saved. God brought about a harvest there many years later. At the end of Patton's ministry, there were missionaries on 25 of the 30 islands of the New Hebrides. Sometimes we sow, but we don't reap. Somebody else does. Sometimes we reap without having sown. Or we reap just right after we've sown. Sometimes the harvest is ready and sometimes the harvest is greater than we could even expect or imagine. So let's pray for God to give us his passion for sharing his word with the lost. Let's pray that he would give us wisdom to discern when the harvest is ready for reaping. Let's be ready to share the gospel and, and trust that the power of salvation is not with us, but with the Holy Spirit, the living water who takes the seed of the good news of Christ and brings about new life. That's the power. I've been so encouraged in talking with people of Trinity here and seeing how you guys are evangelizing and supporting evangelism. It's been just wonderful hearing about how you're inviting friends to church, how you're talking with your neighbors, how you're developing relationships with neighbor kids, how you're going out on missions trips, how you invest so generously in local ministries like Next Chapter Ministries and Together for Good and Labrie. How you just give so generously to the work of the church. God is at work here in Trinity, in our community, working through you, whether you're on the front lines or whether you're behind the scenes. So let's continue to do His will together. Let's eat Jesus' food together. Let's do his will together. Let's accomplish his work of making disciples of all nations. So we all need each other and, and each other's gifts and talents to do this. No one is insignificant in this work. Let's now pray for God to spread his word through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for sending Jesus to the Samaritan woman. And then for the Samaritans to, to come to faith in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to not let social barriers keep us from sharing eternal life with people who need it so desperately. Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to share in your passion, to share in your purpose, to share in this, this joy of being on mission for, for, for the Lord, of sharing your gospel with other people. 
Help us to prioritize it. Help us to have eyes to see when, when the harvest is ready. Help us to be good listeners. To be able to read people, to understand them, to know what's going on in their lives. To be able to speak into that. To be able to love people. To win people over. Lord, we ask that you'd give us full confidence in the power of the word of Christ. Help us, Lord, to share your word with others. And may you bring about the great increase, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen.